Truth Quest podcast. This is our Q&A where we look at questions through the lens of Scripture. Our desire is to know what God's Word says so we can know what to believe. Like the Bereans, we want to receive the Word of God with all joy, but search the Scriptures to see whether or not these things are true. And we're looking for Scripture to back up the things that we believe. If you have a question, then write the word question and then write your question out. That'll help me to find it in the comments section and then reread it a couple of times, make sure that it makes sense and it says what you want it to say and then go ahead and submit it. We take one question per person. We'll be here for an hour and Lord willing, God will meet us here and we'll take time to look at his word and really be encouraged. Our first question comes from a comment that was left by Jari in one of our YouTube uh, videos. And the question had to do with a topic that we covered at our last Q&A, which was egalitarianism versus complementarianism. That is, if you are an egalitarian, then you believe that men and women have equal roles in ministry. If you are a complementarian, a complementarian, a complementarian, <laughs> I can never say that word, uh, then you believe that men and women are equal but have different roles in ministry. And if you take your cues from our culture, then you're not going to like what the Bible teaches because the Bible teaches that there are different roles and the role of a pastor, the role of an overseer, the role of an elder, the role of someone who teaches is going to be a man. It doesn't make the woman less than the man. It doesn't make her not equal to him. Like you might have a general and a colonel. The general may be a worse person than the colonel is, but the colonel is subject to the general because of the authority structure that there is. And it's that way in the Bible as well. And someone who leads their family and leads their family well would recognize the strength of their spouse, of their wife, and allow them to take the lead in certain places because of their strengths. When you're a good leader, you're able to look around you and see what the strengths of your team are. And since God puts a man and a woman together as a team, it's important for a husband to lead in that way and to love his wife and to die for her. Now, after, and I had said in that, in the last video, that we are complementarian. That is, that we believe that the roles of men and women in ministry are different, but we're soft complementarianism. We don't believe that, that, that you could take it too far. And men and leaders have suppressed women to not be able to use their gifts or to not be able to use their skills because men have used this topic in the Bible to, to lift themselves up, really to abuse their position. And so we believe that God has given these roles for strength and for help. So the question that Jari gave when we gave our position, and by the way, this is it's so important that we understand, this is an in-house discussion, meaning that we believe that those who are egalitarian or complementarian, finally said it right, that if you believe differently, they're still our brothers and sisters in Christ. This is nothing to divide over. We might disagree with it and not do it that way. We would never have, in Calvary Tucson, we would not have a woman who would be in a, in a teaching authority position. Doesn't mean she can't share, doesn't mean she can't talk about what God's showing her, or talk about what the scripture's saying to her, but taking that official role as a teaching, we would not do that. 
So Jari attends a church, a Zion, uh, which is an Assembly of God church. It's a good church here. Wayland uh, is the pastor there. Zane Anderson used to be the pastor. And uh, it's, a, it's a larger church. It's a good church in Tucson. They do a lot of great work, Assembly of God. They are a, a Pentecostal church. That's what they are. And in Pentecostalism, you find that a lot of times they will ordain a pastor and his wife, or you will find women pastors. And so Jari asked the question, should he continue to attend uh, Zion because they have a woman pastor? And I wanna say clearly that I don't think that this is a reason to go, I'm going to leave this church. No church is perfect. And if you're only going to attend a church because they agree with you 100% on what you believe that the Bible is saying, then you're probably not gonna go to any church. And I would never tell someone you should leave that church because of an in-house discussion. If someone believed different than what you believe, Jari, on eschatology, you could attend that church. If someone believes different than what you believe, and I don't know where you stand on, on women in ministry roles, whether men and women can have share the same roles, but if they believe different than you, it doesn't mean you have to leave that church. You ask yourself, has God called me here? Are they faithful here? Are they anointed by God to do the work that God's called them to do? And, and I believe that Victory Assembly or Zion now, uh, Zion Assembly is doing the work that God has called them to do. And I would never say that over this issue, you should leave. Now you pray about it, seek God, ask God what he wants you to do. Uh, but this is a, a, a very in-house topic. And I do believe, as I said last week, that the church misses out on a lot of gifts and talents that women have because they take the teaching too far. And uh, we will at some point cover the, the, the passages that talk about these things because there are some very distinct things that are really important for us to understand. But if you take your cues from what the Bible says, then you're gonna say that men and women have different roles. And I realize that egalitarians say that they're taking what they have from the Bible, um, but I don't know how much they really are. And if you're interested more in this, and I said this last week, Mike Winger has a series, Women in Ministry. He's in the middle of it right now. He's about to release his uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 study. It'll be lengthy, but he, it's a thorough job. There are long videos. Um, you can go to BibleThinker.com, or excuse me, you can go to Bible Thinker Podcast, and you can listen to all of those uh, on the road while you're driving. And it would really help you. He does a very good job of handling the word of God and showing the balance of the acceptance and love that we are supposed to have when we have a disagreement with someone. All right, so thank you, Jari, for that question. I really do appreciate that. And good to see you guys. Good to have you here with us. Uh, if you have a question, then write the word question down or, or, or a question mark in front of your question so I can see it and pick it out from the comment sections that I'm looking at. And then write out your question and I'll bring it in and take a look at it. If you wanna ask an anonymous question, uh, then just put anonymous in front of it and I cannot bring it in, all right? Uh, so uh, put anonymous in front of it and I won't bring it in. So Fact Check These Hands has the first question today and is asking a question about Jeremiah 
So let me go ahead and take time to pull up this passage first before I bring your question in. This is Jeremiah 33.3, and I'm not sure what this passage is. So Jeremiah 33.3, all right. And let's just go back to 33.1, excellence of the restored nation. I'm gonna go ahead and put this up on the screen. For Let me go ahead and bring, uh, Fact check these hands, questions in. Hello, fact check these hands. Appreciate you. Um, so says, question, can you please explain Jeremiah 33.3? How does it apply to our daily lives? Okay, well, thank you very much. Fact check these hands for your first question. And I'm gonna start reading in verse one. I'm not sure that it will help us at all, but I find that when we read from the beginning of a chapter or in context, it often can help. So, moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of prison, of the prison, saying, Thus says the Lord, who made it, the Lord who formed it, establish it. The Lord is his name. Call to me. So here's the passage. Call to me, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. So this is one of the great passages in the Bible, right? It's one that we memorize, that we look to, because it is so powerful. Now, what I like to do with Old Testament passages like this, fact check these hands, is to see if I can rebuild them. Meaning, okay, so Jeremiah is a prophet during the time that Israel was taken into captivity. He prophesied that they would be taken into captivity for 70 years. He prophesied that before. He wrote the book of Lamentations and Jeremiah, and he wept and he cried. And here he's been arrested and he's in prison, and he gives this great passage. And so it says, first of all, call to me and I will answer you. And I think of Romans chapter 10, where God says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And I think that we can use this as a more general statement. Call to me and I will answer you. There is, there are people, individuals, <clears throat> who God would not listen to anymore, that this could not be applied to. And I think it's very rare in the Bible, but I think we have Saul, where it says that God would no longer answer him. We also have the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders, that Jesus talked in parables because he didn't want them to believe and receive. And so they weren't ready to do what he said. Also, there's a passage in the Bible where God says, my people constantly put things in front of them that caused them to sin. Should I allow myself to be heard from, from them at all? And um, I wish I could remember that passage because it's really a powerful passage. Now, it's talking about idolatry, my people are constantly putting idols up in front of them. Should I allow myself to be heard by them at all? If they call out to God, God's saying, I would not answer them. I, and I won't speak to them and I won't reveal to them because they haven't repented from doing these things. And it speaks to us about our sin. Do you have unconfessed, unrepented sin? Are you doing your own thing? Are you going your own way? Are you saying, doesn't matter to me what God wants me to do? Doesn't matter, I don't wanna live God's way. And if you have that heart and that attitude and you call out to God, I don't know that God will answer you. But if you have a true heart of sincerity, you're serving God with sincerity, you're growing, God's convicting you, 
Maybe there's some areas of behavior that you're working on because you don't want that in your life. Maybe there's an addiction that you're working on and addictions can be hard to overcome, but you're seriously, sincerely working on it. Then I see no reason why this couldn't be applied to you. If you have been rebellious and gone your own way, sought your own way like King Saul, and King Saul passed a line, and so did the scribes and Pharisees. And that's a scary thing, that you might be able to pass a line where God will no longer speak to you. But I think that God knew that Saul wasn't genuinely serving him. He was just trying to get something from God. And the religious leaders weren't genuinely serving him. So first of all, call out and I will answer you. Well, that can be applied to those that sincerely do trust him. And then it says, and show you, and I will answer you, and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And so I think that we could rebuild that as well. I will answer you. The, uh, the New Testament says, call out to me. Anyone who calls out to me will be saved. And it assumes that you are genuine when it says that. Jesus said, if you ask anything in my name, it will be done for you. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you desire. Or yeah, you will ask whatever you desire and it will be done for you. And I think that if we do call on his name, God will show us great and mighty things that we haven't known. I know God continues to reveal things to me as I sit down to read the Bible, as I'm reading a passage, as I'm studying, I find that God reveals things to me in, in a powerful way. And interestingly enough, it seems that he reveals them more to me when I'm just taking time to read my Bible and pray and seek him, what we would call a quiet time. So, yeah, I do believe that this would apply. Now, someone could get very uh, pedantic, very exact, and say, this was Jeremiah speaking to Israel, and it's not to us. But I think I've said before, that's a little obnoxious. There, there may be some passages that people are applying to themselves out of the Old Testament, like when it says, I will heal all of your diseases. God had said in the law that if you keep my law, you will not be sick. And so then they take a psalm that says, I will heal all your diseases. And they say that applies to everyone today. And that's wrong because we're now living not under the law. The law had great blessings. We read the curses and blessings of the law. The law had great blessings. The problem is you can't live it. And so if you're going to have to keep that standard to get that, you can't live it. So there are places where people abuse and misuse scripture for one person to another. And so you've got to know the context, know who it's spoken to. But a great passage like this, um, I think that we can take it for ourselves and, and say, yeah, this is for the Christian today. Call out to God and he'll answer you and show you great and mighty things. I believe that you can apply that today, even though it is Jeremiah speaking to the nation of Israel. All right. So thank you. Fact check these hands. I appreciate that. I hope that that is helpful. And, um, you just want to make sure you're handling the word of God right, but you don't want to get so exact or, as I said, pedantic that, um, for example, the Bible says there is none good but God. But yet the Bible says that Job was a righteous man and that Joseph of Arimathea was a good man. So obviously the Bible says no one is good but God. That's in comparison to God. No one's good. But in comparison to man, there are good men like Job and like Joseph of Arimathea. So people could say, well, the Bible says no one's good but God, so no one's good. No one's got any goodness in him at all. But the Bible says Joseph of Arimathea was a good man and Job was a righteous man. And so you just want to be able to look at the Bible 
according to the things that it's saying and see where you can apply it, even though in one place it might be talking about one thing and another place talking about something else. All right. Or applied to one person or applied to another. Uh, so we have a question from Jari. Technically, this is two questions, Jari, because we answered your question in the beginning of this. Jari says, what does 1 Peter 3, 7 mean? Why does it say weaker vessel? Is it okay for my wife? If my wife is stronger, um, older, bigger, taller than me, or is this not natural? Okay, well, that's a great question, Jari. And uh, by the way, Jari, with that question, it's like setting a ball up on a tee to be able to, to be hit. Um, I, I just, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let it go. There's all kinds of things that I want to say, but I want to, I'm going to just go ahead and let that go. Um, let me go ahead and pull up this passage here. Jari, it really is a good question. Um, what if you're a kind of a spindly guy and you're married to a very athletic woman who's taller and bigger than you? in the middle of the night when there's a noise, which one of you is gonna go out, get up and go out and take care of the noise? Um, I, I kind of make this joke also, when I think about Mary Magdalene saying to Jesus when she thought he was the gardener, what did you do with his body? Tell me and I'll carry him away. He was an average sized man with all the spices packed around him, then to be able to pick him up and carry him would be somewhere around 200 pounds. How big would Mary Magdalene be? Maybe it was just like, give him to me, I'll carry him right? So um, let's go ahead and go to your passage. I got to find you again here, Jari. Um, and good question too, by the way. And I see I have a follow-up here. Um, all right, let's go ahead and go to your question here and I'll even cover your follow-up. All right, Jari, since we used you as the first question. So it's First uh, Peter 3, 7. I know the passage, I just want to make sure to go there and read it. First Peter 3, 7. All right, so it says, I'll bring it up on the screen for you here. It says, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding. Now, meaning that we're, men and women are different and that you should have an understanding towards your wife and women are different in themselves and you should understand your wife and dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to his wife, to the wife. This is really important because some of those who are complementarian don't give honor to the wife. They just see their position as the boss, as the ruler, as the head, and they misunderstand it so much. And that's why I would rather not align myself with them. However, what the Bible says is true. So with, with these really radical, that are in complementarianism in a really radical way, I, wouldn't, I don't want to align myself with them but what the Bible says is true. And so I want to stand on what the word of God says and egalitarianism can't be upheld. But you've got to live with your wife with understanding, giving the wife the honor. A husband's to die for his wife as Christ died for the church. Think about what sacrifices that is. It's not about you deciding I'm buying a boat and it doesn't matter what you say. It's about using your position in leadership to bless your wife and your family to honor her, to live with her with understanding. And then it says, as to the weaker vessel and being heirs together in the grace of life. And then it says that your prayers may not be hindered. So if you as a guy are abusing and mistreating your wife, not doing the things that are here, which says live with her with understanding, giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel, 
and as being heirs together in grace, so your prayers won't be hindered. Your prayers can be hindered. Very important for us to understand, Jari, that what God cares most about is the way we interact with people around us. God says, don't judge or I'll judge you. The mercy you give is the mercy you're going to receive. If you forgive, then you'll be forgiven. This is what God cares about. And sometimes we get stuck on thinking that God cares about other things as being more important. We, we might see somebody lighting up a cigarette and say, I can't believe that guy's smoking, but that guy might have some other things in his life God's got to take care of that may be much worse. He might not be treating his wife correctly. So obviously the question that you're asking here, Jari, is to the question, weaker vessel. And I want to go ahead and just take a moment to pull up Strong's Every time I pull it up, it seems like it doesn't really help us that much, but it is, uh, what is it, 1 Peter 3, 7? So let me go ahead and get there. And that may be able to help us uh, with what this weaker vessel means. All right, here we go. Um, Likewise, husbands, well, with your life knowledge, giving honor to your wife as to the weaker vessel. I'm going to click on weaker, and then I'm going to go ahead and bring it up on the screen for you here. It says, there's the word, um, and it says as a negative particle and the base of 4955, we might look at that, um, strengthless in various applications, uh, literal, figuratively, and moral, more feeble, um, impotent, sick, without strength, weak. All right, and let's take a look at what the base word is here. And the reason, I can't do it that way, I got to do it this way. And the reason is, let me explain why I want to go to the word here first. Um, So this is the word probably akin to base, to strengthen, to conform in spiritual knowledge and power to strengthen. Okay, so that really doesn't help us much. But it is good to take time to go back to uh, the word and look at it because you, you hear pastors all the time and this is too bad, but pastors do a few things. Number one, they hear somebody talking about something on the radio or another pastor talking about something, and then they pick it up without checking to see whether or not it's really true. And so you hear people say that the the weaker vessel there means the more valuable vessel. And so I wanted to see whether we could find that evidence there. Now, the fact that we didn't find it in Strong's doesn't mean that it's not true. There might be a way you might be able to find a word study on that Greek word that would mean more valuable, but I don't like to to say that from the pulpit unless I've got evidence that it's true. I don't want to just pass on something that's been preached about and said only to find out later on that it's not true. And I think that we also, as pastors, we get preaching and we come to a passage that has some mystery to it and we get really dogmatic about the passage. This is what it says, and this is what I believe. When, hey, there, there's mystery there, and I don't know that anybody can be dogmatic. And it's, I don't know that I want to say it's one of my pet peeves, but it's something that I wish pastors would change and just start approaching the Bible with a little bit of mystery of like, we're not going to understand everything here, and it's okay if we don't understand the Nephilim completely. It's okay if we don't understand um, who the Nicolaitans were in the book of Revelation completely because we don't have the definition there. But people will make their stands, and I think that that is unfortunate. Um, so obviously, when we look at this passage, men in general, 
are stronger than women. Men in general are the protector for the woman. When I go for a walk with my wife, I try to walk on the inside of the road. If somebody walks up, that's a little shady when we're out doing something and um, I'll get in between her and the guy just, I mean, I'm not obnoxious about it, but just to walk around and get in between her and whatever I feel like might be a little bit of a danger because I'm stronger than my wife and she's the weaker vessel and, and it's literal. Now, does that mean that there might not be a marriage? Well, let's just, let's just take it into a realm that could be very possible and real. What if the husband's sick? What if he's got cancer and he's weak because of chemotherapy and the wife is stronger? So obviously there are, are in situations where the wife is going to be stronger than the husband in certain situations. But when we're talking generally in life, the man is to take care of the wife as a weaker vessel, honor her as a weaker vessel. Now, again, our culture today doesn't like this. Our culture today says, you know what, women can do everything that men can do. And that's not really true. They, they, probably, they can do everything men can do for sure, but they can't lift as much. Upper body strength isn't as strong. Lower body strength often is equal, but upper body strength isn't as strong. And so men are supposed to take care of the wives. And this passage that's given to help encourage husbands how they're supposed to be is often misused and misquoted. All right, so Jari, I'm gonna bring in another question. This is the, the Jari show. Um, Jari is a follow-up, could have done things differently. He could have said women pastors. Um, so we're talking about Paul. He could have said Mother Sarah had many daughters. Many daughters said Mother Sarah. Um, I am one of them and so are you. All right, well, I'm not sure what that question or the follow-up is. Um, I guess if you're saying that Paul could have said that women could be pastors, he certainly could have, but he didn't do that. Andre uh, has a question for us. Andre's a little late to the show. Usually you have a first question, always good questions. Andre, good to see you. Andre says, John tells us Judas was a thief. Yes, uh, that he had the money box. And he said to Mary, the sister of Martha, about anointing the feet of Jesus, that should have been sold for 300 denaries, which would be a soldier's day's wages a denarii. So that'd be a significant amount of money, whatever a soldier's pay would be for, for a year. And then, then it says, why didn't John say something sooner as was the case of 70 times seven, Matthew 18, 21 through 22. All right, so Andre, I'm not getting the connection between the case, um, did he say something sooner in, in Matthew 18, 21 through 22? Let's go to Matt, the Matthew passage. So I know the one you're talking about where he talks about him being a thief. And I'll talk in a moment about why it's possible that John didn't say uh, anything at the time. And in fact, we know that he didn't say anything and we know why, because the passage itself tells us. Um, and verse 21, let's just go here. All right, and then I'm gonna bring this on the screen for you. So this is the second passage that you had. I'm trying to see the connection between John not saying anything and this passage, okay? So it says, then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times seven. Jesus said to him, do not, uh, do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 
Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who went out to settle his accounts with a servant. And when he had begun to settle his accounts, one who brought to him who owned 10,000 talents. All right, and he goes on to tell the parable of the unforgivable servant, okay? So I'm not sure what the connection is there. Sorry, Jari, I mean, sorry, um, Andre, Andre. Um, I just don't get the connection with that question. But let's talk about why John didn't say anything. In fact, let's go ahead and go to that passage, John 12, 6, and the context will help us. John 12, 6, and this is so often the case when you begin to look at something. So let me go ahead and bring this in here and we'll take a look at it. So this is um, John 12, 6. Uh, and again, he said to her, why didn't you sell that? And uh, let's start in verse five. Um, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? That's Judas, very self-righteous. Um, this he said, not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He had the money box and it used to take what was in it and put it in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for my day of my burial. For the poor you will have with you always. You're always gonna have opportunity to help the poor and do it. But my, but me, you don't always have with you. Leave her alone. What she's done, she's done for my death. So I was hoping that this would be one of the passages where it says, and the other disciples. So Judah says this, and then another passage in the Bible tells us, and the other disciples backed him. They agreed with him. That's why when Jesus said, one of you betray me, they didn't all go Judas. They thought Judas was spiritual. And so they agreed with Judas. And so John is writing the book of John. How many years after these events? We believe that John is the last of the gospels to be written, that he had access to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and that he writes the unique things that were not found in the synoptic gospels. And so... From his perspective, he looks back now and has been able to compare things and know that he used to steal money from the money box. But we don't know if he knew that when Mary broke and anointed the feet of Jesus. He might not have known it then. And so he didn't stand up or say anything then. Besides that, every they're, they're living in the moment and everybody is trying to say certain things. I mean, everybody's trying to come across as a certain way. We know that they had different struggles. They had yet to have the Holy Spirit. Um, but I am would lean towards that John didn't know until later on. All right. Thanks, Andre. And sorry, I didn't get the connection with the 70 times 7. Uh, we have a question from uh, Psychman. Psychman, good to see you. Says, an elderly biblical scholar who said Moses did not write Genesis. Seem offended when I replied, Jesus says he did. Now, and I believe Jesus but what was right? But but was I right? Yes, Jesus did say this. Yes, Jesus did say, um, did talk about Moses writing in a couple of places. And here's the thing. Let's just go back to the early 1900s, late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, evolution is on the scene. A lot of scholars are going against the Bible. And at that time, they didn't believe writing was even invented during the days of Moses. So Moses couldn't have written it. Okay, writing isn't invented. And this is what, when you rely upon archaeological discoveries and science, archaeology and science change. But the Bible says the word of God remains the same forever. Now, archaeological discoveries have found that writing was around long before Moses, back into the days of Abraham. In fact, and, and Abraham was 
how many years before Moses? Uh, 400 years, 500 years, 450 years, something like that. So when I was in Victoria Island, they had a museum next to the Queen Mary Hotel where we were staying. And in the museum, they had a, a um, uh, Iraq Babylon um, display. And we went through and we looked at things from Babylon. It was amazing. It was an absolutely amazing display. But one of the things that they had were clay tablets that they discovered in Nineveh that dated back to the days of Abraham. And it was a hands-on display, meaning you could pick up this clay tablet and hold it from that long ago. And so I was able to pick it up and look at it. And a couple of things struck me. Number one, how small the marks were. These were like, they had a little tool. They'd make their little dashes for their letters how small it was, and the tablet was a, it was more of a cylinder, almost like the shape of a, of a little bitty football. And as I looked at it, it was an inventory of a man's stuff, a rich man's stuff from the time of Abraham. So now we know that writing was around during those days and that Moses could have written it. And there's no reason for us not to think he couldn't have. In fact, Moses, according to the Bible, was raised in the court of Pharaoh. So he would have been schooled and able to write and may have just been all part of God's providence. God knew what he was going to do with Moses. And so he brought him up in the, in the court of Pharaoh so that he would have what he needed to be able to write the word of God. So yes, um, psych man, I think that's the perfect response to that. And he may get upset at you. Uh, he's probably going to go, well, I don't believe Jesus, but it is the perfect response. And if you're, if what we believe is what Jesus said, and that's our standard of evidence of what the word of God says, until it's, it's solidly disproven by science and science will say a lot of things, but science is constantly changing in the area of evolution as well. We just brought, brought up evolution a little bit earlier. Evolution was around in the thoughts of evolution before Darwin ever wrote his books on evolution. So really important for us to understand the world sees things one way and, and sees science as having all the answers when science constantly changes. And so does archeology span because do archeological finds are being found and they do support scripture by the way. All right, so uh, we have a question from Daniel. Daniel, good to see you again. Uh, Daniel says, does 22, but Matthew 22, 30, teach that we will have gender in heaven. It seems Jesus's resurrection body was male. What will it be? So I think I know what passage you're talking about. Uh, this is the passage where they come to Jesus and talk to him, where the Sadducees come to Jesus, right? And talk to him about, um, they're trying to trap him because the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. Matthew 20, 20, 230. I had so, such a hard time multitasking. Matthew 2230. Um, yeah. So let's just go ahead and, and put this up on the screen. Thank you, Daniel, for your question. I appreciate it. Um, let's put this up on the screen here. It says, um, you are mistaken. Now they had come to him and they had um, told him about a man that had a wife and there was the Leverite law, not the Levite law, but the Leverite, Leverite meaning brother. And so because God had given land to families, if a man died who had a wife who didn't have a child, the brother, the oldest brother or the, the next in kin was supposed to marry her, have a child who would inherit the property so that it could stay in that family. 
So she would have a child for her brother. She would be married and every child that she would have after that would be his child, but the first child would be the child of his brother and would inherit that land. And so their argument was this woman had seven brothers and died. They all died without giving her a son. So in heaven, whose wife is she going to be? So there can't obviously be heaven because she's going to have seven husbands, right, Jesus? They're thinking of trapping him. So Jesus says, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. That's often the case when people believe weird and strange things. For the, from the resurrection, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, you have not read what they was spoken, saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, they didn't say, I was the God, they're dead, but they are alive, and I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so, um, what will our bodies be like? Yes, I think we will carry our male and female identities. We have Moses on the Mount of Transfiguration and Elijah. They have their identities and their identities are still male. We don't change so much. Um, I don't know how detailed I want to get in in the answer, uh, but I think it's worth saying that yes, we will be male and female throughout all of eternity. We're not all of a sudden going to become genderless beings. And um, when angels are seen in the Bible, they're often seen as men. Uh, does that mean that all angels, I mean, they don't marry are given in marriage. They looked on the daughters of men and saw that they were beautiful in Genesis chapter six. And so maybe they're all male. I don't know. I don't, Gabriel, Michael, I don't know. I don't know if we've ever seen a woman, an angel appear as a woman, um, which is interesting. So, I have more questions than the answer that I gave. Um, but yeah, I do believe that we will still have our genders. We're, we're, we identify ourselves by our by our sex. We're men and or we're women, um, depending on on what we are. And yeah, so um, I think that that is the case. All right, Daniel, that um, thank you for your question um, that we will still hold our gender identity when we are up in heaven. Um, all right, we have a um, question from Vivian. Vivian, good to see you. Vivian says, uh, question, Pastor. I listened to Pastor Winger. His videos are awesome, extremely thorough. I find myself becoming a soft complementarian. Complementarian. Let me say that word right, okay? Complementarian. Why can't I say that word? I was baptized by a female pastor, however. Uh, does this sort of void my baptism? Do I need to be baptized by a male pastor for my baptism to be valid? All right, so, and I do again suggest um, Mike Winger and his series on women in ministry. It's very good and as, as Vivian said, very thorough. Thank you very much for your question, Vivian. Um, no, it does not negate your baptism. The Bible never says that a pastor or leader or apostle has to baptize. Now, it just so happens everyone we see baptizing in the Bible is, is male, but it doesn't mean that a female can't baptize because there's nothing in the Bible that gives us instruction. If we, if we start making doctrine out of something like the only people that ever baptized in the Bible were men, then we're going to end up with some weird and strange doctrines. 
that's not a good way to make them. It's better for us to go, the Bible doesn't give us direction. The same thing is true about giving communion. It doesn't have to be a pastor who gives communion. It, it could be it could be someone in the home. And, I, and, and there's no reason why a woman couldn't give communion. And there's no reason why a woman couldn't baptize. So your baptism was you laying down your life for God and has nothing to do with a man baptizing you or a woman baptizing you. It's not connected in any way, shape, or form. I don't know if I can be any stronger about that, Vivian, um, but it does not negate your baptism at all. All right? Um, but, you know, I might say our conscience is so important that if you can't get past, you know, if somehow the, the, the devil begins to put in your mind that, you were baptized by a woman, therefore it wasn't real and you didn't really get baptized, you're being disobedient to Christ, then just go be baptized. Just get your conscience right. But if your conscience isn't bothering you, then don't do it. And don't do it, you know, because somebody tells you to do it. Do it because the Bible says to do it. But if your conscience bothers you, then I would say there's nothing wrong with being baptized again. Um, But I would just encourage you that your baptism the first time stuck And it was a symbol of you going under the ground and burying the old Vivian and coming out of the ground and living now the new Vivian that is in Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer Vivian that lives, but it's Christ that lives within Vivian. Okay? So thank you very much for your question. I think that's um, really good. Um, We have another question from Psych Man. I guess we're not sticking to the one question rule today. Um, Psych Man says, does anyone find significance in the fact that Paul says, I... Do not permit a woman to teach. It seems by speaking for himself and not for God. Yeah, all we can do, psych man, is to compare it to other places where he says that. So another place that he says it is in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where he says, the Lord said, you shall not divorce. And where Jesus said that was, if a man divorces a woman for any other reason but sexual morality and marries another, he commits adultery. And then he says, but I tell you, and then he goes on to give them some other times where there could be separation and divorce. If you're married to a non-believer and he wants to leave, you're free. Um, if there is separation, then separate to be reconciled, but don't marry another. So he gives those rules. But I think he's saying, I believe this and not, I said this, and, and it's God still saying it, but not Jesus. So... I think in a way, like I just said, um, we would not have, we would, I, I said, we at Calvary Tucson would not have a woman in the role of a teaching pastor. So I was just kind of making that emphasis using myself as an example. So was Paul using himself in his example saying, I would not have a woman teach kind of as uh, if, if I wouldn't do it, then, um, then you shouldn't do it. Now, um, that's the second Timothy, isn't it? Or it's in Timothy, Timothy 2, 1 Timothy 2, where Paul says that. And there's something else going on there. I, if, if, this is the, if this is the passage I'm thinking of, when you read it, you realize we don't have all the pieces. There's something else going on. He goes from, from plural to singular. He talks about authority. The word for authority is a negative word. No one should have authority in that way. And it seems like there's a situation going on that Timothy's involved in, and Paul's trying to answer the question to the situation that we might not know what the situation is. 
And all that means is that we need to take that into account. Doesn't mean the word of God isn't true. It just means we're trying to find the exact context for what is said there. All right, so we have a question from Kat. Kat says, question, just a clarification. Does your church allow women to teach women and children? Just curious. Yes, and, and thank you for that curiosity. Yes, um, not only that, we have, we have had in the past a woman's director of our Sunday school. And we had a man come to us and say, I'm not gonna be a teacher under your woman's director. She's a, she's a director for, and I'm not gonna be under her. And we said, okay, that's your choice. Maybe we missed out on somebody who's a really good teacher, but we had a woman who was highly skilled in organization and led the organization. And now we have our, our, our director over children's ministry is a man, but the director over both campuses are women. And so, and, and when we were smaller and our woman's director uh, was over our children's ministry, it didn't mean she wasn't an authority to me or to Sam Holloway, who was our assistant pastor at the time, because she was. And I think that's why it's okay. I think we miss out on a lot of gifts that women have. And yes, of course, the Bible says, let women teach younger women. And um, I would actually answer for myself the question of could a woman be a pastor by saying, I think that you could have a woman who's shepherding women, because that's what pastor means, right? It's a shepherd. You could have a woman who is shepherding children. Remember, the Bible only uses the word pastor to refer to what overseers or elders are doing in First Timothy, in First Peter chapter 5. And so I don't see any reason why a woman couldn't be called a woman's pastor or a children's pastor. Now, I have, we have pastors on our staff who are older than me and known the Lord longer than me, and they disagree with me. And we don't, because of those disagreements, we don't call women pastors. But I don't see any reason why if she's a woman's pastor or a children's pastor or a high school pastor, that she couldn't be that and be teaching. Because the Bible says that women are to teach, um, let the older women teach the younger women and then um, they, they have authority over their kids. So there wouldn't be any problem with that. But these are good questions, good questions to get out of the way when we start talking about what the Bible says and trying to follow what the Bible says. And since the Bible doesn't say women can't be pastors, then I think you could have a pastor that isn't an authority, a teaching authority over a man. I think that's where it, we would have to draw the line. All right, so thank you very much. And um, we have a question from Kimberly. Kimberly says, at Bible study, at Doug Sheets' prayer was prayed. Uh, he, he prophesied Trump would win. I didn't amen the prayer, but I didn't say anything either. Was it wrong for me not to speak up? All right, so I don't know who Doug Sheets is. Um, and I, he prophesied Trump would win. So I'm assuming that he prophesied that Trump would win in the 2020 elections and was wrong. And I might wanna know a few more things, Kimberly. Was, was it before the election? Was it after the election? Um, 
somebody told me that there was a prophecy that Trump was going to win into the 2016 election and that several other things he had prophesied to come true. And I didn't believe it at all. I was like, I don't think there's any way he can win. And then he won. And then in 2020, all these people came out with prophecies that he was going to win and he didn't win. So that'll tell you how dangerous prophecy can be and why the Bible says that one prophesy and let the others judge. To your question, Kimberly, um, I don't think you're wrong for not speaking up. It is not, it is not your job to correct every misconception that is out there all of the time. Neither is it my job. I don't, if I don't have a position of authority, then I don't necessarily speak up all the time if someone's doing something that's wrong. If they're in authority, if it's their thing to do, it's not my job to stand up and tell them what you're doing is wrong. I went to a funeral not that long ago and I didn't agree with a lot of what was said by the people. I felt like the pastor didn't address what he needed to address. The gospel was not presented at all in any way, shape or form. And, um, but it wasn't my job, even as another pastor in Tucson to jump up in the middle of a funeral and correct it. And so I think that you were right for not saying anything. I think if you were looking for what you could have done, you could have gone to them in private and said, I don't know that we should have said that prayer and go in a very non-threatening way. Just say, look, I'm not trying, trying to tell you what to do. I mean, I, I know because I get people who approach me in a very demanding way all of the time. And um, I know I appreciate it when someone comes to me and say, and says, um, Robert, I'm not, I'm not trying to be weird here. I'm not trying to force anything on you, but I'm wondering about this and whether or not that was the right thing to do. I appreciate that so much because you get the other so often. And so if you go to them one-on-one, -on -one, you go respectfully, you share your concerns and, and you say, it's not my, I'm not trying to convince you. I just have this concern. And that's where I'm at. I'm, I'm even at like these Q and A's or my Bible studies. I'm not trying to convince anyone. I'm trying my hardest to present the truth. And then if we disagree, that's okay. If you don't agree with what I'm saying, that's fine. It, it doesn't cause me any heartburn or problems. It doesn't put any kind of a weirdness between us. Um, I can still minister alongside of someone. I can still be under someone's ministry that I have a disagreement with. I think that's the way God wanted it to be that we strive to have unity. And so it's okay to share. It's okay to say, I don't know if this is the right thing to do. Just do it very respectfully. All right. So I hope that's, um, I, I assumed a few things in that question. So I, I hope I got that right. All right. So we have a question from Melissa. Melissa, I think this may be your first time here on uh, Truth Quest Podcast Q&A. It's good to see you. Um, so Melissa says, I'm praying with 40 days for life, people, okay? Is that okay? Some said no, because they are typically Catholic and scripture, 2 Corinthians 6.14 applies. All right, Melissa, well, let's go to 2 Corinthians 6.14. I'm interested in what this says. I, 1 Corinthians, right? 6.14? 6.14. Um... Let me make sure that's the right passage. Melissa, 2 Corinthians figures. I take a guess into 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 6.14. All right. So, um, okay. Um, let's go ahead and bring this up on screen. Let's read your question again. Um, is praying with 40 days of life people okay? 
someone said that because they are typically Catholic and scripture, 2 Corinthians 6, 14 applies. So 2 Corinthians 6, 14 says, let's read it and then I'll answer your question. Um, Do not be unequally yoked together otherwise for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness. All right, let me answer this by sharing a little bit of a personal story. When I was still not married, I became aware that so many babies were being killed inside the womb. And it struck me. I was just moved by it. And I wanted to do something. And I was attending at the time um, a four-square church, me and my wife-to-be at that time. And somehow I got connected with Right to Life that had a speaker's bureau for people to go and speak at different events about the topic of saving the unborn. And they were looking for someone who was young. And at the time I was teaching junior high and they were looking for someone who's young who would be able to go into the schools and debate Planned Parenthood. And so I applied for the Speaker's Bureau for Right to Life, which is Catholic. And that's really where I kind of cut my teeth besides in a Sunday school class teaching junior high, teaching high school kids about the value of the life of a child inside of the womb. And those very people could have said that I was unequally yoked because I was it was a part of right to life. But I don't believe that I was. Here's, here's the thing. If someone who's Catholic says, I am saved because I'm Catholic and I take the sacraments and I do certain works and those works have saved me, then we would say, that's not Christianity. That's not what we believe. We are saved by, by grace, through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. So I have a friend of mine who is part of the Swiss Guard, the Catholic Church, and he's a defense attorney. And I, I saw him not long ago in Costco. It was great seeing him. I hadn't seen him in a long time. And uh, he, he wanted, used to want to debate Catholicism and what they believed about compared to Christianity. And, I, and at one point I said, listen, let's just talk about how we're saved because I wanted to know, are you genuinely saved? So I began to question him about the process of what it meant for him to be saved. Now, what he told me was that you receive Christ, that you surrender your life to him, that you now live for him and by faith believe that what he did for you on the cross was so that your sins could be forgiven and you're trusting him to, to believe that if you trusted him, he's gonna forgive your sins. And so I accepted him as a brother in Christ. Now. That doesn't mean all or most Catholics are brothers and sisters in Christ. They do believe in the virgin birth. They do believe in the resurrection. They believe in the power of the cross to forgive sins. So they've got all of the elements that they need to be able to trust Christ if they can get rid of the works part of it for salvation. And so all of that to say, if you are praying with Christians on 40 days for life, you guys are equally yoked on that. And they might pray to Mary or they might pray to the saints. They might, because of tradition, think that that's okay. And I would be praying that they would understand that that's not correct. But I can still have fellowship with someone that believes that they can confess to a priest well, and have their sins forgiven um, 
which kind of gets into the area of salvation. We definitely are, when you talk about Christianity, there's a lot of things we don't believe. And here's the reason why. Because they, we believe scripture, sola scripture, only the Bible. That's the authority. If it's in the Bible, we believe it. If it's not in the Bible, we don't believe it. We want to see things practiced in the Bible. They take tradition and papal announcements as being as high as scripture. And so when you start to argue with them about praying to Mary or praying to saints, then they will use their tradition. And, and I find it where I just go, finally go, look, you've got to trust in Jesus for your salvation. And I don't want to argue about the rest of these things because I don't believe in tradition and you accept tradition. So I'm not the judge of any one. I, I'm not supposed to judge them. If they say that they've committed their lives to Christ by faith, then I will believe that. Um, if they really haven't, I don't know. But I don't believe, Melissa, that this applies. I don't believe that the unequally yoke applies to praying with them for 40 days. Now, if you were, if you were more involved in something that they were doing in their church that was not biblical, like lighting a prayer and praying to Mary, I'd agree with you. I would agree with them, but not that we are unequally yoked and can't pray together for the same thing. And they may very well be genuine Christians. All right. So I'm going to kind of fast past these. We've got just a few more minutes left. Hopefully I didn't miss any questions. Uh, we have a question from Barbara. Barbara, good to see you. Barbara says, in regards to people in Noah's time transgressing the laws, I kind of went down a rabbit hole trying to figure out myself I would appreciate your thoughts in regards to people in the time of Noah's transgressing the laws. I kind of went down a rabbit hole. So I'm not sure what rabbit hole you went down. Are you talking about what laws they might have transgressed not being under the law? Um, I'm going to ask you, Barbara, would you rewrite your question for me and kind of clarify? I know, you know, YouTube doesn't allow you that much space but I'm trying to figure out what rabbit hole you went down or what exact question about the laws that you're trying to find out. Are you trying to figure out what laws they were under or is there something else? All right. So I've uh, got time for another one. Um, Susan says, if you were sitting before Jesus today having coffee, would Jesus want me to have coffee because of caffeine? Uh, I don't know. What suggestions or warnings do you think God would be giving you regarding these present days, war, unrest, sin. Okay, so I'm setting with Jesus. These kind of questions are hard for me, by the way. Um, I'm setting with Jesus and we're talking about the last days. What do I think he's gonna share with me? Um, I, think I'm, I think I'm gonna have to pass because Jesus surprised people so often and said something that was completely different than what they thought he was going to say. I, I think if we want to get biblical and not put words in Jesus's mouth, which I'm, I'm, I'm all, I always loathe to do, I don't want to put words in his mouth. But Jesus said in a parable, occupy till I come. And I think we need to occupy that we need to get people saved because God is waiting, according to Peter, because he desires all to be saved and all to come to the knowledge of the truth. And so 
I want to see as many people come to Christ as, as, as can come to him. I think about the eternities of the lost. And I think about sharing Christ with them. And I think Jesus, if God's waiting this long so more people would get saved and we're to be about that business, our feet prepared with the gospel of Jesus Christ and that we are the light of the world and we are the salt of the earth, then that's what we're supposed to be doing. And so again, sorry about not answering your question like that. I, I don't want to put words in Jesus' mouth. I don't know what he would say to me exactly. But I do know what he said in his word about living in these last days. And um, we are to occupy and we should be looking for people to get saved. All right. So thank you guys very much. I really appreciate you. I see, Kay, that there's a question here. Um, and uh, I will I will get these questions sent to me. So uh, Keith will, will forward this to my email. I'll be able to look over these questions. And um, I like to look back at these first to see if I can find a question for the next Q&A, which will be next Saturday. Lord willing, uh, when we're back in the upper room with Jesus and his disciples, and we're going to be talking about how he prepares them for the change that's going to take place in ministry after the cross. And tonight, uh, we're going to be talking about the church in Smyrna. We're going to see that God had a plan in suffering and why God would use suffering in our lives. As we talk about the suffering church, it's often called the persecuted church, but it's better to be called the suffering church. And it's, it's Revelation 2, 8 through 11. It's the letter of Jesus to the church of Smyrna. Uh, I think that we've got some very powerful stuff that is there. Uh, we have a service in about an hour. I'll be teaching in about an hour and 20 minutes from right now. Um, out of Revelation chapter 2, we would love to have you join us. You can join us live if you're here in Tucson. Or you can join us online, YouTube, Facebook, um, I think Roku, uh, Apple TV. So there's uh, several different places uh, where you can watch our, um, our services from. All right, so God bless you guys. Stay close to Jesus. Um, Jesus said, blessed are you if you hear my word and do them. And so when we hear his word, even when it goes different than the culture, like complementarian, which I said right that time, and egalitarian, that we go with what the Bible says and we'll be blessed. There's a blessing in hearing and doing what God said. So search the scriptures, read them, pray, have quiet times. And when God speaks to you, do what's there. Have that genuine heart to do what God wants you to do. And I believe that God will bless you because of it. And I want to have that heart. I want God to speak to me. I want him to show me what he wants me to do. And I want to do the things that God wants me to do. And I hope that you have that heart as well. All right. Good to see you guys. Love you. Uh, I am out. Got to get ready and get out of here and get going to church tonight. Take a communion, by the way. So if you want to take communion with us, get your elements ready at home. And then and well, we can take communion together. And, and I'll be talking about what the important parts of communion are as, um, as I lead communion online tonight. So I'll have a communion service online tonight as well as a teaching. All right, so God bless you guys. Love you. We will see you later on.